0: If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go: Mind Pump. Mind Pump with your hosts Sal De Stefano,
1: Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. We just had a fantastic interview with uh, Mind Pump's first uh, sponsored athlete, Mike Salemi. He's a kettlebell sport athlete, and we talk a lot about the sport of kettlebell. We talk a lot about training and exercise. He's uh, very, very knowledgeable. When it comes to exercise, I mean, down to the detail in terms of taking metrics like uh, hormone responses and heart rate variability. I mean, real advanced but very, very uh, interesting information. We talk about nutrition, we talk about powerlifting and Olympic lifting. He's a Uh, walking
0: example of everything we talk about. He
1: totally, and he is uh, one of the people in our new kettlebell for aesthetics program. He's actually teaching some of the skills in the skills section of the program. Now, you get that program for free. Uh, you get the Kettlebell for Aesthetics program for free with the purchase of MAPS Aesthetic. So MAPS Aesthetic is a program designed for you to train your body according to how your body looks and making it look a particular way and how to train weak body parts and to help you program your workouts. Kettlebell for Aesthetics is an aesthetic-based kettlebell workout program which is awesome if all you want to do is work out with a pair of kettlebells and you want to build muscle and look a particular way it's a fantastic program to follow comes for free with maps aesthetic you can find both of them at mindpumpmedia.com You guys remember the story I told about it wasn't that long ago about the steam room right at the at the uh, The one that sport. we sent in to the, the animator buddy? Yes uh I, how I went in there's this one little Asian dude that me and him have now become like we're kind of
2: steam room buddies yeah, well yeah. it's
1: it, and that sounds very that sounds very inappropriate <laughs> no, it's okay
0: it's okay but i mean you guys don't hold hands or
2: anything. no 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 we've we'll, always been into different no, things
1: no, no, anyways we, we have mutual respect because right. we go in the steam room and we can outlast anybody hmm. like we'll go in there and make it hot as sh- fuck and the whole room will leave Have you guys
2: got no towel yet and then <laughs> that's what i'm where are you at? i'm wondering where you how good of re- friends are you where are you at in this relationship yeah
1: i'm definitely no towel Oh okay. wow! I'm, yeah, I'm full naked in there now. Uh,
0: so things are progressing,
1: huh? Yeah. No, yeah. I'm always. I've been that way for a little while now. All
0: right.
2: Oh, wow.
1: So anyway, um,
0: first date,
2: this guy right away. Yeah. So anyway, he uh, the goods.
1: So last the the last time I was in the steam room with him, me and him went in there and we we went through four cycles of steam. So it must have got it was at least five thousand degrees in there, and. Everybody left, and then 5, me and him <laughs> kind of acknowledged each other's
2: we just let real a face guy. melter. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. We, yeah, We looked at each other and we acknowledged, like, all right, you know, and, then, and we both left at the same time. This morning mm-hmm. was very different. This morning it was slow in the in the, in the place. So well, it was like heads up today. Bro, huh? heads this, up today. It couldn't have been it, oh, a little one on one. It couldn't have been <laughs> planned any better. We're both walking from different sides of the locker room and we both meet at God, the door. God, Justin, where's the
2: slow-mo music Whoa. right now? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we both, <laughs> we, <right>. we, <laughs> both
3: <laughs> we both meet yes. at the
1: door. We both see each other and we both reach for the handle at the same time yeah. and our hands touch for a split uh, second. Oh, right. yeah. Whoa.
0: That's Whoa. That's like um that, that's magical. Yeah. No, uh, what like it spark was
1: flu or anything? What it was is that I realized what happened is that we tried to Both of us were trying to kind of one up each other. We're not. We're just trying to pretend like we don't see the other one because now we're competitive,
0: right? Oh, wow. So
1: we both reach for the door. We both touch hounds. Now we have to acknowledge (laughs) that it's just me and him. So we look at each other and he looks at me and he goes, this is fist bump time. No, no, no. Oh, my God. This is what he does, bro. He gives me this kind of this little smirk and he goes, huh. (laughs) Oh, And then he walks inside. (laughs) And then he walks inside. I see, sir. So I'm like, oh, fuck. Today, it's on. Today's that. It's day. It's on. Yeah, yeah that's how I feel day. right now. It's on. And you guys know it's how like, hmm, you think com- you can match me. You guys know how competitive I am. Yeah, I'm yeah. extremely competitive. So I went in there fully prepared to die. Like, okay, I'm going to die, <laughs> or I'm going to win yeah. because no way in hell is this 67 year old. Chinese man right. gonna beat me. This today. is intense right
0: now, though, yeah. bro. Like you're you're about to boil up some skin. So
1: we walk in there and we sit down. Now, I my strategy immediately was my, I was thinking of a strategy. My my strategy was. I don't know if I have the endurance.
2: Tell me you're practicing some of the, you know, Kotler box flow. Tell me you're putting some of that down right now. Yeah, I yeah. feel like you're, you got new. I shit feel like you're jumping yeah, yeah. ahead. Oh, okay, and okay, you okay. Whoa. No, no, I don't okay. know this story. I just like, want to make sure that you're using the tools that you right, now right, have. Right. This motherfucker ain't ready for you. Well, I used a lot of tools. Okay, okay.
1: So we go in, and so I'm thinking like I, I don't have the stamina. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have the stamina of this guy cuz he's he's been practicing for decades,
0: you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. He's been doing this shit forever, for all I know, and it's been in his DNA like for centuries, you yeah, know, I mean, for for generations.
4: He, he could
1: be the descendant of, you know, Buddhist monks who fucking, you know what I'm That's saying? A, like, exactly. Epigenetics. Down. Right? He epigenetics. could have advantages that I don't. I come right. now on my side, I'm I'm from the product of Sicilian immigrants. Sicily's pretty hot, hmm. but I don't think anybody was Bo- you know, steaming the fuck out of himself. So he might have an advantage, so I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna out endurance this guy. I need to out intensity him. Okay.
0: Oh, that's, that's
1: the only way I can beat him. Bold move, it's a different metric. Yeah, like bold I'm, move right there. I yeah. don't think I'm gonna stay in here as long. I don't think I can stay here long like him. But I'm gonna burn the fuck out of him. Oh wow! <laughs> so that he has to leave. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So we walk in. And this and is
0: friendly competition. This is a dangerous strategy
1: yeah. right here. Very dangerous. I took a gamble. I took a risk. So we go in and it's mid steam. So it's already coming out. And so immediately I'm just Just you and him are in here right now. Just me and him.
2: Okay. Wow. There's
1: nobody. Naked yoga guy's not in there. Mm. Big hairy Persian dude's not in there. Are,
0: is it the eye lock situation? Or are you guys yeah, looking you, straight ahead? Yeah, is are you like, pretending like it's yeah. not a big are deal? Are focused on part of the no, wall at this, this point?
1: at this moment, we pretend like we don't exist. It's You can feel the tension oh, in wow. there, okay. right? Yeah. So we go in there, we sit down, and it's already mid-steam. And so mm. and immediately in my mind, You're I'm creating like- creating your own space. In my mind, I'm like, as soon as that thing stops- I'm gonna go turn it back on. Like I'm gonna go. I'm not gonna give any breaks in between wow.
2: because I want it to get so hot that his old skin won't. This be This is to like take. in basketball yeah. when we used to come out full court press in the first quarter. Exactly. Yeah. Not even ready for it. You guys are thinking mm. we're gonna play normal game. Come out full court press. Exactly. in right? exactly. All game you do. Yeah. So I'm press. thinking. I'm thinking. There's no
1: way his old paper like skin is gonna be able to handle. <laughs> yeah, like he's fragile. Like he's gonna be I'm in. youth. Yeah. And then so I'm thinking like you're dead. Strategy. Like here. I'm thinking yeah. you're you're going down. Right. Got it. So. Mid steam, we sit down and I'm chilling. Steam stops immediately. I get up, spray the thing so that it fucking turns back on. Mm-hmm.
2: Now it's when you do this. Are you looking at him when you do this, or are you just like no, pretending like, like, like he's, like he's even not even an eyebrow an raise no. or anything? I, I don't want to look at him. I don't want to look at this mm-hmm. fucker because he already. So he's intimidating. I feel he like. shook me
1: oh, a little wow. bit I when see. we tried to go in the door, and he looked at me with like the. Was huh? there
0: an energy exchange? Like, did you feel it as you guys like accidentally touched?
1: My goal was to pretend. That he wasn't in there because otherwise I could feel him beat me psychologically. So
2: when you're spraying this down, because yeah, right. people don't understand, you spray this thing you down with, spray cold with cold water, water that makes the steam keep coming out. You're not you're not even acknowledging him. You're not looking at him. He's in even, the corner. You're not even tripping on him. I'm he's, getting this hot because this is how hot I like it. Yeah, so he's on the left. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm on the right. Yeah. I turn it on. I sit back down. Because it's back to back, it's getting fucking hot now. I can start to feel... My, like if you Skin move blistering problem, well what happens is if you move in the steam burns you, it gets really fucking hot, Man. right? So now by the second time around the second cycle, it's pretty, it's about as hot as I usually will let it go. How's your breathing breathing How is o- managing breathing's that? okay. And I also have, you know, I can also, if I want to take, cause I brought an extra towel on there. Thank God mm. I could take the towel, put it in front of my face and filter the air if I have to. I have all these I have ideas in my mind. Strategies. All these strategies. Right? All yeah, these got, strategies. got it. So the second cycle goes down, it's fucking hot. At this point, I'm contemplating, can I even get up? If I get up, I'm going to burn my nuts. I get up anyway. <laughs> mm. I get mm-hmm. up anyway. Remember bold na- move. Remember, I'm naked, right? Right. I get up anyway, and I spray it again. <laughs> Steam turns back on, and I sit down. This old motherfucker didn't budge. He's sitting there. I don't see a single... Sign that there's any pain. Or he, doesn't, anything. he doesn't
0: want to show weakness. No, yeah. like at, at all.
1: At this point, I'm thinking I'm seriously doubting
0: hmm.
1: my own capability, and nah. I wish I had my cell phone oh my because God. I would have set an alarm to go off, so I had an excuse to leave. Because at this point, I want to, I'm going to quit. I'm like, I can't do this. No. Again. <laughs> <laughs> but I sit down anyway, and now it's fucking. Whoa! It yeah. is like it's seriously starting to burn my skin. I'm thinking this could be a danger.
0: Like we're probably going to die.
1: So finally, I break the silence and I look over at him. No, this is no joke. I look over at him and I go, "Whoa, oh, man, it's hot, right? And he goes, it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> you broke first. And yeah, you like, did. Oh, oh man.
2: He knows. Straight power oh, moved my. you. Oh, wow. So
1: now it's- He's ha- old school. It's halfway through the third respect, cycle. Respect, though, bro. Yeah, yeah, I give him respect. respect. I get my extra towel and I have to hang it over my shoulders to protect my skin. <laughs> Oh, I have no. to do this. It's like your
0: own little shawl. I have to do this. You know my I mean? third
1: option now was <laughs> to spray myself with the cold water, but I feel like that's quitting. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I feel like
0: that's cheating. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So third cycle is over. By the way, he I, shook his hand. by the way, somebody tried to walk in while this was all going on. <laughs> oh my God. Did <laughs> walked right 180, Rude. I was happy they opened the door to be honest with you because yeah. it oh, let man. a little bit of heat out. But a guy walked in, he closed the door and walked right back out. Like he couldn't <laughs> handle it. <laughs> so now we're third cycle. Hot not. as fuck. I'm wearing this thing like a shawl. So now I have this like thing, but he's chilling. His fucker's naked. He doesn't care. I've got a shawl over me trying to protect my skin. Third cycle has not finished. I'm literally now I'm starting to see stars and I start to think to myself, is it worth it? You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. I've got kids. I've got a, all these things are going through my mind. Like all these wow. thoughts are going through my mind.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I can't, I, I, I'm like, you know, can't what?
2: risk it. Can't risk it.
1: I can't risk it. Go. Mm-hmm. I get up and I walk out. Wow. I walked out. Wow! I did my cold shower. I lost, obviously, lost the battle. Hmm. I You've got kids, man. I
0: understand. I yeah, don't want. I don't yeah. want them to grow up fatherless. You can only push too hard.
1: I leave. I finish the shower. I leave, and I'm like, I gotta check the steam room. If this motherfucker's still in there, <laughs> he's dead inside. <laughs> I'm thinking like maybe I killed him. Like maybe I actually went too far. Is it normal if his eyes are black? I, and then, and then I open the, the, the door. The coup de grace right here. He's pouring cold water right, on it, it, getting it hotter. Yeah. No, you just <laughs> see him,
0: oh, you know, like <laughs> some super cypherly. No, I
1: opened the door. He wasn't in there. He was actually already changing. Mm. And this this fucking son of a bitch, man. I walk by him again, and he kind of smirks at me again. And I know he's thinking, "Pussy." Yeah. One day.
2: <laughs> one day, grasshopper. He's like, I don't one know. Day. I don't know, man.
0: I don't know.
1: And I tell you what, I'm glad I left that room because I was dizzy driving all the way over here to work today. <laughs> I really think that I I, I almost went too far.
4: <laughs> How so anyway, long was the duration?
1: Uh. I don't know, maybe three, four hours. No, I'm just kidding. It was probably, I have no idea. It was like three cycles of steam. So, like right, 10, 12 minutes, yeah, somewhere yeah, around like, there. Anyway, anyway, just thought I'd, I'd like to share that. Story.
2: Intense way to start
1: your day. We have today in our studio a uh, good friend of mine. Mike Salemi, or as Adam likes to call him, Mike Salami. He keeps mis- <laughs> mispronouncing your name, yeah. Mike. My See, nickname used to be Salami. Mike. I was going to say, really? come on, everybody. Mort- sh-
4: Salami Mike, Mortadella Mike, Pepper Turkey Mike. These are <laughs> <laughs> all pow- power powerlifting. Was this names. after gym class? That's awesome.
1: Oh. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Mike is uh, one of the. I met you a while ago, Mike. I met Mike a while ago when I, ha- when I owned my wellness facility. One of my yoga instructors was connected to him. He came in, I met him. Uh, Mike it, at the time weighed maybe 170 pounds at that time at that time
4: yeah somewhere around like 175 about 175
1: looks like an athletic guy doesn't look like a huge massive bodybuilder just looks like a very athletic fit guy and uh, he said, "He oh, I, I, you know, I dabble in some powerlifting because I, I dabble. I dabble. This is, this is what he told me. He's yeah. like, oh
2: yeah, I do a little powerlifting. I've, I've tried it. I, yeah, I lift the barbells this every guy, once in a while. You this
1: know. guy, and at the time, I was really trying to get my deadlift up higher and whatever. And so Mike is like." You know, Sal. So, how's your deadlift going? Like, what's your deadlift at? And I'm like, oh, you know, the other day I pulled I was my. I did my new PR. It was five sixty five. And I'm thinking like, yeah, 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 yeah. I totally. I'm, impressed. I'm kind of a boss. <laughs> I totally impressed him right now. Yeah, it's a good and, number. And I'm, and then Mike's like, oh yeah, yeah, I used to compete in powerlifting. So, oh really? What, what's your uh, what's your best deadlift? What was your best deadlift, Mike?
4: Uh, best in competition was six fifteen.
1: Six hundred and fifteen pounds. When you were how old?
0: Nineteen.
1: Yeah. See. Yeah.
2: Damn. And and, all the air came out of you. And
1: that's why. I, that's <laughs> yeah. why I quit lifting weights. Okay. Yeah.
2: Nineteen. That mean you had to have been lifting for quite some time before that. Like you, you didn't just come in at nineteen years old, right? I started competing when I was fifteen. Oh wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. Now, how wow. did you discover? Because we're going to get into what you're doing now, which is why we have you on the show right now. But how did you discover resistance training or powerlifting? Because that's you don't see too many people start with powerlifting. You see people start with like bodybuilding and stuff. Like, what got you into it?
4: Yeah, no, that's a good question. When I was uh, 15, I was in freshman football, and uh, I was like third string running back, and I really didn't give a shit about anything related to football. All I wanted to do, I was always hiding in the gym and just like we'd be in there lifting, and the guys would go about. You know, back out to the field, and I would just be like, I just want to stay
2: here. I just want to stay here. So, I um, just fell in love with the weight. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm not so good with this football thing, but this weight thing's, so I'm liking <laughs> this.
4: And then I injured my back, and one of the guys who rehabbed me was a, a chiropractor. And at the time, he was a drug free um, world championship on the championship lifter in the bench press. And so he kind of took me in, took me under his wing, and brought me into uh, a basement powerlifting gym. It's no longer around, but it was called the Palace Gym. And we had uh, a really, really cool group of colorful people. Um, and ever since then, I just fell in love.
1: Now, were you naturally uh, very strong? Did you find right away, like, wow, I have an affinity for this, or were you the classic skinny, weak kid that goes and finds weights to build up their body?
4: Well, before that, I was a gymnast. Um, I mean, I injured myself in gymnastics too. It's kind of it's kind of interesting because of all the sports I've been into. It's kind of like an injury has led me to the end of the sport, end of each sport, but then also kind of opened the door to a whole nother kind of passion of mine. So. I was a gymnast, and I wouldn't say I wasn't really strong, but I love the conditioning. And I love the training aspect of every sport, and that's really kind of what got it
2: started.
1: Mm. So right away, you start powerlifting, and you're probably already strong. Well, how,
2: for, let's back up even further. How old were you when you did your parents get you into gymnastics, or did you find that? Like, how did you even get started on gymnastics, and how long were you doing that for?
4: Well, I'm real tight with my brother, and my brother was doing it ever since he was probably, I think, five years old. So I believe I started around seven and then essentially continued until I had a pinched nerve in my back— which was about 14, and then started football when I was 15. So, you know, seven, eight years. Do you do you
2: attribute the pinch nerve to the gymnastics, or how did that happen? Yeah,
4: yeah, gymnastics, and then also during the time of like a growth spurt and stuff. So mm-hmm. when I tried to return back to gymnastics, I think I had grown like three or four inches, something like that, and it was just like an awkward time where you're just figuring out your body, and I was like... I really realize I'm not going to be very good at this mm. um, at a high level, so let me let me figure out and explore what else I enjoy doing. Isn't
2: that funny how our bodies do that, and we all kind of have that, especially if you were into sports. You know, I know Sal has no mm. idea this is completely <laughs> foreign to him. What is,
3: what's sports? But, uh, I to? I remember I used
2: to, I played soccer my whole life, and it was for sure I was the, I was better at soccer than I was anything else. But I had this awkward mm. eighth grade to freshman year growth spurt, and it was like. It was like I was playing with a square ball all of a sudden, yeah. <laughs> and the and the field was slippery. It was just weird. It was Dude, like I had the same experience I mean, going
0: from football to basketball, right? You know, it's just like my body type would like completely changed because of. Uh, the training and then also just, you know, growing up and then growing into this new body. And then it's like, yeah, mechanically you're, you're trying to figure out and then by the end of the season, you start to finally get it, but then it's too late. Yeah. The story of puberty. Yeah. So,
1: so now Mike, you're <laughs> doing, is. uh, your powerlifting and you competed at a pretty high level, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah what were, what, what were some of your, t- you have it, some titles or?
4: Uh, I think you had written them down. I I forgot. So, I've competed in a number of organizations, but I think the main ones I was competing in was in the drug free organizations. Mm -hmm. But they weren't, it was kind of hard to always find drug free comps. Like, there's the non tested comps were much more popular. Mm -hmm. So, in the WABDL, which is just bench press and deadlift, I won the Worlds at 148. And then I think it was 165. I competed in that one as well. So, best lifts around that time, my squat was 605. Bench was four seventy, and then dead was six fifteen. It's um, crazy.
1: That fucking sucks for me, not for you. That's <laughs> yeah, incredible. No, that's awesome. That's incredible. It. Um, two things. Two questions come up for me. You've your lifetime natural, correct? Correct. Always trained, drug free. Always competed, drug free. Uh, were you ever tempted? Were you ever? Did you ever get any pull to take as you know as strong as you were naturally? Yeah, there's got
2: to be a party that wants to go. Like, God, what happened? I if could I'm... be the strongest in the world. I just world. ran a couple <laughs> CCs. What would this
1: look like? Exactly. <laughs> did I ever did I ever pull to you? What was a that dialogue on your like? shoulder?
4: Well, fortunately, the the gym that I was at was pretty much all drug free, so I had a really good kind of upbringing there. But when I was 15, I started studying uh, Louis Simmons' work and Westside Barbell and all that good stuff. So when I was 18, pretty much yeah, right when I got out of high school, I spent uh, a little over a month at Westside training with Louie, And over there, I, you know, there's you're just around, you know, you're just around it all the time and guys are doing it. But uh, so there was definitely temptation there. But, you know, I always knew that, you know, that's just not kind of a road that I wanted to go. Absolutely nothing against uh, those guys or anything they're doing. I mean, these guys were training just as hard, if not harder than any world class high level athletes that I've ever been around. Mm-hmm. Uh, the work ethic the I mean, a lot of the guys there, when I was there, you know, had moved to Columbus just to, you know, join Westside. Um and you know I've kind of I've kind of disconnected myself from the kind of powerlifting community in the last few years just cuz I've been so focused in kettlebell sport but you know those guys were were the real deal man um Do
1: you find because you trained a lot initially with drug-free competitors drug-free powerlifting and then you went you know and you've seen uh programming and training done by you know coaches who train a lot of uh enhanced athletes do you see a big difference in their programming and workouts as a result?
4: That's a good question. Um, I think the uh, volume and just the frequency of training is more. I mean, Mm. the, yeah, I wasn't, I mean, I was definitely doing when I was there, you know, two workouts a day. And I remember it was was actually pretty funny when I was, I was staying in just kind of this uh, janky hotel and I had, uh, there was no um, kind of single bed room. So there was two beds per room. So I used to have one bed that would be the bed that I would sleep in each night, and then I would have one bed for my post morning session because it was so disgusting and so tight. I walked through the door and just like plop down and wow. just and just wow. you know pass out until the next training.
1: Did you make strength gains training that way, or did you find you you did better with less uh, maybe volume and, and frequency?
4: Uh, when I was there, the increased volume and frequency were more like recovery workouts. So a lot of sled oh, okay. dragging, accessory work, abdominal stuff. Um, that was when I came back from Westside was the strongest I ever was, and that's when I did the you know pulled the six fifteen and oh, then squatted six hundred five.
1: You know what I find very fascinating about the human body? We talk a lot about genetics all the time, and you've trained with weights uh, for quite a bit of time. Um, you obviously, of course, uh, training plays a huge role. in Nutrition. But you obviously have excellent genes for strength, mm-hmm. um, but you don't have bodybuilder genes because you're not this huge, ma- you know, muscular guy. Whereas someone else could work out, not get nearly as strong, well, but then get these big, bubbly muscles. Mm-hmm. W- was that be- by design for you, or do you find that you have a harder time gaining size and an easier time gaining strength?
4: Uh, I can definitely gain strength quicker than I like. I think my nervous system is, mm. you know, uh, pretty good. Um, yeah, I've always been able, I'm, I've always been a fast twitch athlete. I think just my genetics, my fiber type, but also just my mental capacity for strength. I'm way more akin to that. Even just endurance mentally is
0: such just a, a challenge for me, even today. Do you think that like, so you started out with gymnastics and uh, talk about like connectivity with your central nervous system and, and body awareness and the uh, able to, the ability to communicate uh, with your body at like the, its highest level. Do you feel like starting out with that gave you an advantage going into these other types of sports? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean,
4: just the, you said it perfectly. I mean, the body awareness, the flexibility, the mobility, even just getting over fear. I mean, every day mm-hmm. in practice, it was like you were either learning a new skill or working on a skill that you had continuously failed upon. So I think as a base, gymnastic was phenomenal for me.
1: Mm. Now, you, so you're powerlifting, you're very competitive. You're doing very, very well. Uh, what's the next evolution for me at that point? Was that did you go straight from there to kettlebell, or did you go from there to something else before you get to kettlebell?
4: Uh, then I went and do Olympic weightlifting. So when mm-hmm. I was in college, I was living in Italy actually for a year, and then as soon as I got back, I kind of decided I wanted to try something different and just expand my skills as an athlete and as a coach. So I found Olympic weightlifting and maybe just like a little bit under a year, I was training with Jim Schmitz. Uh, Jim Schmitz was three-time Olympic coach and learned a lot of great stuff from him. And my intention wasn't necessarily to, to maybe compete long-term in Olympic weightlifting, but more just kind of see what the experience would hold for me, see what I can learn from a great coach and at least get one, two or three competitions under my belt.
1: So you did, how long did you do that for?
4: Uh, with Jim, just about a year.
1: Okay, so decent amount of time. What were some of the differences in the way your body adapted uh, from powerlifting to Olympic lifting? Did, did, what did you notice that was different?
4: First, I mean, first and foremost, even though, you know, my background before that was a gymnast, I mean, by the time I stopped gymnastics to start at Olympic weightlifting was almost like tennis years. Mm. So, I mean, my flexibility, mobility, I mean, just doing an overhead squat, like, I mean, and I was classic, classic West Side programming, classic kind of a lot of the West Side techniques. So there wasn't, uh, and, and again, you know, with everything, with everything said, I mean, my sport was powerlifting. So mm-hmm. every training session, you know, there was two dynamic effort days, two maximum effort days, which is kind of the classic conjugate system spread. Uh, was always bench press, deadlift, and squat, and with the accessory movements. But you know, you throw a barbell over my head, and uh, you know, try and go at the bottom of an overhead squat. It was a whole nother ball game. So that was very challenging for me. Just the flexibility required to get into the correct position, so where I can perform the lifts.
2: Now, what? What is that? Hold on. Let me ask me in regards to that. Like, is that when you think you probably put the connection, like uh, the importance of like your gymnastics background, and then that, and then probably because I went through this phase when uh, I got into deadlifting and squatting and overhead pressing, and I was just trying to increase. Weight, you know. So even though I wasn't training competitively or anything like that, I was competitive with myself, trying to increase my strength. And I started. I and I remember, I'll never forget waking up one day and just realizing, like, holy shit, I can't even get a, do a pistol squat. And that was something I felt that was so remedial to me five years ago. Did you ever go through like an aha moment like that when you, when you made that transition? Very
4: humbling. And, uh, yeah. And I actually had more of like a humbling moment when I started transitioning to kettlebell sport, oh. but I do, you know, even though like we, we just were talking, you know, the flexibility and the mobility component of Olympic weightlifting, um, is definitely, I would say at a higher level than powerlifting. I mean, different movements, right. Um, just having that much of a base of strength, I think laid even, you know, gymnastics kind of was the foundation of like body awareness and coordination, all that stuff. Powerlifting was just raw, brute, absolute strength, which I think for any athletic program, you know, hypertrophy, then strength, and then you can, with that strength, you can use it for powerful, you know, activities or, you know, strength endurance activities. So I think in that sense, the qualities of just being a strength athlete were huge. Yeah.
1: Mm. Now, uh, you're doing the Olympic lifting, how do you go from that to kettlebell? What makes you discover kettlebells? And Because now you're at, you compete at a very, very high level in kettlebell sport. You're nationally ranked, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And you're, what's the title that you ha- you hold? It's called Master?
4: Master of Sport. Master of
1: Sport. Uh, first off, what does that mean, Master of Sport? What do you have to do to be able to get that?
4: Well, I guess we should probably start by maybe just explaining kind of what is kettlebell sport and what's kind Perfect. of involved in it. So, Kettlebell sport, I mean, you'll kind of read you know, different things, but more or less, it's been around for about 50 to 60 years. I think the rules of kettlebell sport kind of started getting organized in the early 60s. Classically, today, we've got two main events. So the event that I compete in is called Long Cycle. So Long Cycle involves, for men, two kettlebells, one in each hand, obviously, clean and jerking, nonstop for 10 minutes.
3: <laughs> so crazy. How
4: much do the kettlebells weigh? depending on what weight you choose that kind of indicates what kind of level whether you're amateur or professional the most uh like the professional level would be two 32 kilo kettlebells. so it'd be about 72 pounds one you know in each hand yeah
1: and you're doing this you're doing these movements for 10 minutes
4: yeah i mean you can set That's it insane. down but the set's over so right. you won't you wouldn't be able to you know qualify for rank or anything like that. well you could qualify for rank but just wherever that you know repetition ended that would be the set
1: wow so uh, so that's the competition. That, of one event. Of one event. One what, event. What are the others?
4: The other classic event is called biathlon, and it's actually two 10-minute events. So what they do is you'll do uh, two kettlebell jerks nonstop for 10 minutes, and then a few hours later, you'll come back and you'll do a single kettlebell snatch with one hand switch. Now, you can switch hands at any point during the 10-minute set most lifters will switch at 5 minutes but depending on their strategy and competition they might you know maybe their left arm is well, way that's stronger kind of cool. than one's a little bit of strategy yeah. There. That's cool. oh yeah for sure oh, Interesting.
1: That's very cool so it's a uh, so <clears throat> that sounds like a huge paradigm shifting uh event switching from lifting you know olympic lifting which is very power oriented but still very short uh powerlifting which is strength uh but also very short to what what looks like a a huge component a huge endurance component a marathon of pain i mean 10 minutes people don't really i mean i'll tell you what right now if you're listening just do 10 minutes of bodyweight squats without stopping you'll want to throw up yeah it's it sounds like nothing but even after 60 seconds you'll find that it's very very difficult let alone 10 minutes so what was that like for you i mean did you just get crushed right off the bat trying to even do that
4: yeah well it was really hard for me because you know at that time and i think one of the things that that I incorporate even in the workshops I teach right now, there's, there's a huge emphasis on qualifying, you know, qualifying the athlete, qualifying the student or the, you know, the client, et cetera. So when I started, you know, there wasn't so much of qualifying, whether it's been training age or just an orthopedic assessment, via static or movement based. So I didn't necessarily had that, uh, have that at the time. So it was a, a brutal learning curve, which ended up in me getting injured and then kind of starting the next evolution of where I'm at now.
1: And uh, now you're very competitive, obviously.
2: Uh, I, I have something that I have to add. I feel like you have to be one of the most qualified people to ask their opinion on what you think about CrossFit. Yeah, I'm wondering why, why, why you it, weren't drawn to CrossFit. Well, I mean, like you've got the gymnastic background. You've got the Olympic the, lifting the, background. Yeah, I feel like that would be just the natural progression. It would be, I'm going to go kick some ass at CrossFit. What detours you from that, if any at all? And what's your thoughts on it? I think uh, I kind of just fell into every sport. You know,
4: I started gymnastics because my brother was involved in it. Uh, And then when I rehabbed my back with that chiropractor, you know, that kind of led me into powerlifting. And then um, Olympic weightlifting was just because I knew of a friend who knew Jim Schmitz and who kind of got me into that. And I started, I first picked up a kettlebell when I was at Westside. So, when I was at Westside, I mean, they were doing the classic kind of hard style way of lifting, and that was how they were using to kind of support some of their their power lifts. So, I first was exposed to kettlebells there, and I loved them. And so, after Olympic weightlifting, you know, I was a strength and conditioning coach at d D1 program, and I was always looking for, and even now, like I always say, like, I'm first a student, then an athlete, then a coach. And so, I was always kind of looking for, you know, what else can I use with, with my athletes, and... At the time, I had uh, taken a kettlebell certification, and one of the instructors, one of the assistant instructors, owned a kettlebell sport gym, which today is the Orange Kettlebell Club, which is, in my knowledge, it's the largest kettlebell club in the world. That's right. Uh, they
1: host some of the biggest events, right, in the yeah, U.S.? Absolutely. Okay.
4: So I was fortunate enough to meet uh, John Wild Buckley there, who's kind of the head of the organization, and then um, he lived in uh, he lives in Berkeley. And so we were talking and he was like just observing me how I was lifting and stuff. And he goes, you know, kind of pulled me aside. And so did some of the other instructors. And they said, you know, we also compete in kettlebell sport. And I had no idea what it was at the time. And they said, you know, you I think you would have, you know, do really well in it. Would you be interested in trying it? And so that's kind of how I fell into that. So nothing necessarily against CrossFit, um, but in terms of like my feelings on it and you know, a lot of the controversy. I think when you look at any modality of of competition, of training, you know, there's, there's a, a progressive system that you have to look at. So take any movement that's involved in CrossFit or how it's programmed. If someone doesn't have first the flexibility, then the stability prerequisites that are demanded and required for every movement, if they move into a strength and a power activity without that base, then no matter who you are or what sport you're in, injury is going injury's to happen sooner or later. So for me, it's just, uh, you know, I was just never really, just never really fell into it. But, you know, nothing against CrossFit. It's just, um, yeah. And I'm I'm even thinking now, like, I even have a bunch of buddies who own CrossFit gyms. And what I see today, just my observation. And, and granted, like, I live and train in my garage. So, I'm not very exposed to a lot of the stuff that's out there. So, I, I've always been in basement gyms and kind of keep myself under the radar. But from what I see with with buddies running programs, uh, it's so very different in how it's programmed from gym to gym. So, like a lot of my friends do have, you know, orthopedic assessments when people come in. They do have an option for one-on-one training. Um, I'm personally not a huge fan of group training. Uh, like I like a lot of... I, I just tend to be a little bit more detailed than I like to... You know, it, it's in a group. You know, there's there's definite benefits to group training, but in my observation, like it tends to be more of like the community aspect and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But from a detail level and and really supporting those clients, especially with orthopedic issues or even nutritional, you know, issues and deficiencies, one-on-one training is the way to go.
2: You're you're it's a uh, very politically nice answer there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, accurate. it's I mean, very aligned with all those. It's Very yes, accurate, yes.
1: and yeah. uh, in my opinion, very accurate. And you yeah. re- you you know, Mike kind of represents uh what a pure kind of a, the, the the fitness person that with that's pure, it's very pure. I mean, the funny thing is you've competed in all of these sports uh, that involve weights, but I would venture to say you've probably worked out very little in big box gyms. Absolutely. So I mean so you're not exposed to all the bullshit out there. You've just learned the good stuff.
4: Maybe just like on vacation, you know, if I can't find but even on vacation, like I was just in Hawaii with my brother and we took a, a, a cool trip to Hawaii. Uh, and no matter where I go, I bring a kettle with me. So I brought a 14 kilo kettle in my bag. And you know, that was our training at the beach and just playing.
1: Wow. That's, that's freaking awesome, man. Um,
4: my tra- dad gets really pissed because I, I F up all our luggages. Of course. So, man, he's got all these nice luggages now with like holes in them. He's like, <laughs> taking,
1: you know, he got taking that one. Kettlebell. So uh, you're, you're t- doing these different kinds of trainings. What have you noticed uh, outside of you know kettlebell sport in terms of how your body has changed and responded now that you train for kettlebell sport um you know differences in movement mobility strength you you know what have you seen in terms of how your body changes obviously when you started doing this you're not nearly as good as you are now so there has got to be there has there's obvious some uh, obvious adaptations that have happened what have you noticed
4: well, I think you know every every sport is going to maximize a, a certain quality or certain kind of number of qualities, or we can call them biomotor abilities, right? Is it going to be strength, power, coordination, balance, flexibility? So if we look at that, powerlifting would be kind of the ultimate expression of strength, right? Kind of incorrectly named mm-hmm. powerlifting. Olympic weightlifting is probably going to be you know the, one of the greatest tests for power. Gymnastics and maybe ballet would be like. Flexibility, uh, coordination, stuff like that.
1: Control, maybe.
4: Okay. In kettlebell sport, you have to have exquisite coordination, exquisite power, exquisite endurance. Um, flexibility is absolutely one of the key components. So, I would say, just you know, the longer that I've been doing it, those qualities to be successful
2: n- have been you know maximized or to the best of my ability at this point. Well, it explains why you're such a badass at it too. It literally has taken all those disciplines yeah. to create someone like that. It's like you planned it. You, built those like, patterns in yeah. leading up to this point where it all you know
0: combines them together. Because
2: so. we, can, we can argue all day long about some and like, oh, your body was built for this and stuff like that. But it, all that other stuff is, God, so But important. that's why
0: I think for me, like, kettlebell sport makes more sense than CrossFit. And I'll just say that, you know, without, you know... Feeling bad?
2: Well, I don't know. I don't even think it's that. I think what Mike said is so perfect that, and, and I think if you were to ask him, he would admit this: that all of them are a sport. Absolutely, yeah, they're they're all sport. they're all fucking sports. The only problem I've ever had with with that is is people understanding that is that these are sports. No, no, really good trainer is going to tell their client that this is the best way to get in shape or offer this as like the their best way to get in shape. It's like, listen, here's a sport. If you love that sport, let Mm -hmm. me show you the fundamentals of that. Let me lay you a good base to that. Let me teach you how to progress that, Mm -hmm. and that's the problem. And I think that's yeah, because you're performing when you when you go by. And it's a different
1: intention. If you go in, if I went into kettlebell sport with the intention of losing weight and getting fit, but I'm training kettlebell sport, so I'm in a sport gym. Yeah, you missed the. And I'm like, I want to lose weight. I'm going to have different, uh, the way I approach my exercises will be different, the way I approach the intensity, the way I do everything is going to be different uh, versus if I go in there and I'm like, I want to learn the sport. Um, One, uh, you know, the I just want to lose weight aspect means my form might be looser. Uh, I'm not going to pay attention to, you know, certain things that have to do with mobility. I'm just worried about losing weight. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other way, you know, going into it for sport, like I'm trying to perfect everything so I can maximize my performance in this particular sport and it's very different. The intention is, is very Well, different. you're probably
2: spending a lot of time with a broomstick, digressing, you know, thinking that you're ready for something, They oh, we've got to regress back three steps and
1: instead of like this is not intense enough, give me a heavier weight, I need right. to burn calories. Right. And which is where I think CrossFit gets a lot of their their, their slack because people go in there for a workout a different in- with their in intention yeah. and and some of the coat some of the people that own these boxes you know, advertise it and push it that way versus we need to treat this like a sport. Which is why I've seen some incredibly good CrossFit coaches, and I've seen some coaches that are just uh, that just make me shake my head.
2: Mm-hmm. Mike, how, how old are you? Uh, thirty. You're thirty years old. Do you uh, notice anything with your body, like uh, aches and pains, and uh, you feel different now than what you did five years ago? Does father time? starting to tick yet. Fuck,
1: man, he's only 30.
2: Well, <laughs> <laughs> what are we now? Well, huh? geez, I remember yeah. I remember between 27 and 30 was Have when I had your first gray I realized yet? I got to yeah. hang the sneakers up anymore. I'm not going to be playing basketball we'll call him gray pube. getting injuries <laughs> left and right. Old gray pube. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think No, that's uh, a good question well, especially with all the training that he Well, had. also like and I and I know cuz Mike is an athlete, Justin's an athlete. Uh, you start to appreciate, Didn't you know. So. Now, listen, you, you start to appreciate somebody like a Tom Brady who's who's getting ready to turn what forty years yeah, old, an athletic mind, and and still, you know, the, is going to the Super Bowl and doing things at that age. There's different practices, and there's di- different. Uh, I mean, it now becomes a necessity. All the prerequisites of as far as like preparing yourself for battle or getting ready to train. Are you noticing that? Do you do you feel like you have to put in extra preparation and work towards your mobility than what you did five years ago? Do you notice that yet?
4: You know, I, I think you know every single sport from just from my experience in the sports that I've been in. Every single sport has kind of like a an ideal age range, right? when, when, when I was involved in powerlifting, like, even up to the age of, shoot, I think Louis was like, even in his early fifties when he was, you know, squatting over 800 and stuff. And so the, the, or even look at, look at female gymnastics in China, right? Female gymnastics in China, like you heard their max, you know, maybe around like 12 to 12-ish years old. But then you look at what I just said, you know, strength-based athletes or, you know, powerlifters, they're going to hit that peak much later in life. Olympic weightlifters, you know, I'm not a hundred percent, but maybe like, I don't know, 25 to 30, 35. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's too old right there. So I think every sport has kind of their age range. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to travel to Russia and and train with, you know, some of the members of the national team over there. And you'd be surprised that a lot of them are in their, their, you know, older years and they're still, you know, phenomenal. You know, late 30s, even early 40s and still, you know, crushing master of sport rankings at every competition, or if not higher. So, but my own personal journey, Every year, I think, you know, I get a little bit, uh, a little bit wiser, a little bit, you know, things get a little bit tighter. And uh, the more and more that I've managed myself as as an athlete, I've noticed, like, I would not say, have I noticed that drop off? Absolutely not. Like, I still feel like, I honestly wouldn't even consider myself a great athlete. Like, I think I'm good, but I still think like there's still a lot of kind of untapped potential. And I think it's just going to take more and more time. And, you know, even just being critiqued by better and better coaches and just learning kind of more nuances. But um, and I think that's even one of the things that that I value so much in terms of how to prepare athletes. Before anything, the individual comes first, and I think this is one of the biggest. I don't want to say mis. I guess you could say mistakes or the biggest kind of shortcomings in not just uh, kettlebell programming, but pretty much all programs out there is there's little to no programs that take the individual first. Mm-hmm. And what I what I mean about that is. So, like, one of the things that I do usually every morning is I'll look at, and I, and I kind of rate and rank things, so I'll look at first morning heart rate and then at a bunch of different markers for musculoskeletal system stress, limbic emotional stress, and then hormonal stress. And then what I'll do is I'll chart it and I'll categorize it. So, one of the things that I can do is I can see if, let's say, I'm going through a relationship challenge, you know, family stuff going on, I can see that reflected dynamically every day in my morning heart rate. And then that determines how intense and in my volume of training for that day. Hmm. So when it's time to train and bang, like when it's time to grip and rip the weight, those days, I mean, every single time you hop in the gym, at least in my perspective, the intention should be to exceed the last performance. And this is something I learned from Paul Check. You should be able to exceed the last performance from one, by one to 3%. If you honestly can't come into the gym and exceed the last performance by one to 3%, then you need to shift the intention. Maybe it's a work, mm-hmm. what we call work in day, or maybe it's a Tai Chi day or something like that. So, uh, or maybe you just reduce the volume by 50%. So being able to undulate how the trainings goes, I think, and that's something that I've been really kind mm. of focused on the last three years has, I think, taken my lifting uh, to a whole nother level. So
0: you've actually been basically talking about like H-R-V. Heart rate, yeah, yeah, heart rate it- variability training. So have you... Um, have you actually like, uh, with technology, have you applied that with like an app and, and, and connected with, with a heart rate strap and really, um, shown those metrics over time? And has that, has that helped you at all? Or is this all just intuitive based off of like, um, I know that, uh, I was dealing with this emotional thing and then leading up into, you know, the next days where my heart rate is at and you're kind of factoring it that way sort of manually. No, so I had I first like started exploring the heart rate variability stuff, uh, and I
4: think it's it's a phenomenal tool. The only thing, the reason why I didn't continue with it just after a few days was, at least the one that I was using, I don't recall what brand, but I had to wear it during bed, Mm -hmm. and I don't like um, just you know the constriction of Mm -hmm. of my ribs and my breathing and all that stuff. So I said screw that, and then um, just working with Paul. I would I would I would definitely categorize it and I would chart it on like a Google Docs and a spreadsheet, so I do have you know graphs and charts and mm-hmm. I essentially charted every single day for three years, oh, and wow. so what wow. I looked what I was looking yeah, at was you know in each training feedback. phase yeah it was it was amazing so in each training phase whether it was a corrective phase following a competition a base conditioning phase a sports specific phase a pre competition phase obviously just physically speaking the the physical stressors are going to be much higher mm-hmm. right in, in certain phases one or the other so i was able to track and also just how things were kind of playing out in my own life so just connecting those dots just connecting to, and that, you know i had a lot of aha moments and yeah. and that's really even that makes way
2: more
0: sense to me than the
2: art rate variability. Well, this was the conundrum that we ran into yeah. when we were trying to create. It our wasn't program. working. The yeah. hardest thing that all of us had when we when we first decided we were going to release our first program was, you know, how do we deliver something that is, uh, you know, malleable that we could that they could, you know, change to the individual because we all know that like that's what comes first. You could have the most awesome program in the world, but if you can't find a way to kind of individualize for the, that person it's It really doesn't matter that much, you know, or you're setting that person up for failure down the road or injury. Mm. So it I- loses a
1: tremendous amount of its uh, of its potency if it's super general and cookie cutter uh, and as personal trainers, we know that all too well, and you know that's why you know we've all we tried to add components that allow people to modify and change uh, the routines because we know better. We know that. You have to be able to learn how to read your body. Well,
2: and the importance of like phasing. Like it's so great to hear that you. It's it's unreal that you uh, that you kind of put. I mean, I, no, it's not because of all the you've been around some brilliant minds. I mean, you've been around some brilliant minds. You've definitely been with some of the best coaches. You've got some of the best certifications, and I mean, listening to you, I, that's unreal to me that you tracked. To that for detail, three years. For yeah. three years, but oh, how fucking awesome that has to be now to be able to connect all those mm-hmm. dots to personal you know, stuff going on in your life and how that affects your training. And this is what we talk a lot about this on the show that – trying to teach people how to connect these dots and understand that sometimes the best workout isn't a workout, you know, or focusing on something recuperative instead of going in and hammering beast mode all the time because more isn't always more.
1: So, so Mike, let me ask you this. You've got these metrics. Now you're reading them. uh, You you take your measurements and the measurements say, Mike, today is a go easy day, but mentally you feel like, ah, I feel great. I want to go hard. Does that ever happen to you?
4: Yeah, that definitely does happen. I think...
1: What do you listen to? You know, do you listen to your mind that says, no, nah, I feel good, let's go kill it? Or do you listen to the metrics? Because that's I cannot, I cannot imagine what kind of a conflict that would create inside
4: me, you know what I mean? Well, I think one is just, you know, in order to reach a high level in any sport, obviously it, you have to be incredibly disciplined, right? Because you have to put in the time, put in the work. So I think one of the things in, in all sports, and, you know, we were discussing CrossFit earlier, I think... The in terms of CrossFit, one of the, one of the things that, that I think can be really improved upon is, is the whole recovery side, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think – but they're incredible athletes. They work their ass off. They're strong as shit. They're, they're incredible. But I think the same discipline that you use to be a badass in your sport should also be the same discipline that you use to back off when it's time to back off. Mm. So in that situation, I would check in with myself you know um have some quiet time and really just reflect on you know why is the number going high and just trying to look deeper and w- one example this is pretty kind of detailed but i think it'll illustrate a point is so i've got uh one of the kettlebell athletes that i work with her name is Ada Wong and so she's a master of sport and we started working now she's over 40 and uh with no formal weightlifting experience she was a swimmer i believe um and so you know over the past few years we've gotten her to the to the highest level but or uh, you know near the highest level and one of the things that we did with her when we when we started tracking is so as we're in these phases right the pre-competition phase is one of the most demanding phase not only physically leading into a competition but also emotionally right as the competition nears the emotional stress rises and rises but you you know it's really important that you get all those trainings in so this was i think over the course of like 10 days she was you know showing me her metrics and stuff and I was looking at him and every single day, her morning heart rate was like skyrocketing. And she's like, I'm not doing anything different. I don't know what the hell, what's going on. And I'm always, I'm very adamant. I'm like, well, you're not training today. You know, so we're going to go do some recovery stuff. We're going to do some Tai Chi. We're going to do some meditation, whatever it is. And so this started going on every single day. It was over kind of the threshold of where I consider it's a training day or not a training day. So I wasn't allowing her to train. And I was like, shit, we got this big competition in three weeks. What am I going to do? What, what do I have to do as a coach? What do I do in this situation? So then we just started having to, you kind of got to be, you know, a little bit of a te- detective. And every, every time that, you know, this is why I don't work with very many one-on-one people is because it's such a detailed and such an involved process that I just don't have the time for it. Uh, at least to deliver the quality of coaching that I intend to deliver. So, what we found out was as we started, you know, what, is there anything, no matter how small, what have you changed? What has been different? And so, what we narrowed it down to was a hair care product that her oh, uh, hair salon, uh, whatever person gave her. And so, if you go to like a website, great websites, I think it's skindeep.org or skindeep.com, you can actually, they, they'll rate them rank pretty much thousands and thousands of all cosmetic products. And they'll kind of define it by, you know, how toxic it is, what, you know, what carcinogens. Interesting. Wow. So what we did is we identify what product was she using, how, and it was like on a scale. I think if I recall correctly, like anything above, like if you're two and below, that's kind of like the green area. Once you get above two, like three, four and five, that's like, okay, be concerned about this product. Her product was a seven out of ten.
0: Oh wow! As
4: soon as we removed it, within one day, we had about a ten beat per average drop in heart rate. Wow, and we that's
0: fucking that's so fascinating. Crazy. Wow, she that's uh, that's, that's uh, crazy. You could identify that even that's, think you that's know, when that stuff becomes lines. really really helpful. Yeah, uh, and then
4: we were able to train and then you know get a good result. But it like had it gone any more, you know, after a certain point, if you continue training, remember, e- exercise obviously is a stress. Mm-hmm. And so one of the the major qualifying criteria when someone comes in is like what's their physiological load? Like, you know, how much stress are they under? Should they be training or should they be doing something, you know, less intense? So the longer that that physiological low, that low-grade stress, you know, goes on more and more, they're either going to get sick or they're going to get injured or they're not going to hit their results. So, you know, you've got to look a little bit more, you know, with a fine-tuned comb, more you know, so to speak, Mm. to figure out. That's
1: invaluable information. Absolutely. So what does your training – you're getting ready for a competition uh, coming up uh, what does your training look like right now? And what will your training look like after?
4: So right now, so the, the train and with, with any time that I write a program, it's even though I have a, you know, a very detailed plan phase by phase. Um, like I always say, like programs should always be very dynamic. Right. So, uh, I mean, I like to train just cause my schedule, like I like to train, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, that just works out really well for me. But, I think part of the struggle, especially as I started using kind of this more intuitive approach to training, is not being attached to the to the program. Mm-hmm. You know, as an athlete, you're like, okay, here's the periodization scheme. Like, you know, I wrote it out for the for the next four to six weeks. You know, I'm going to stick to it because that's going to get me to the goal. And while there is truth to that, if you don't essentially consider, again, once again, the individual first – then you're either something's gonna happen, you're gonna tweak something. So I have a plan, but I'm also very willing to adapt to that plan. So my training right now is three days a week of kettles, uh and it's really, really intense, really hard, especially in this last phase. And then uh I'll do typically two days a week, I do a double day where I work out of um a gym in San Carlos uh snack where they have like kinda of a really, That's really neat- conte's gym, right? Yeah. Okay. It works with a lot of fighters and got kind of this altitude training facility. It's really cool. So that's been helping me kind of develop more of the endurance qualities. And then usually Sunday is just more of like a – what usually I'll go for a hike, something something just to get outside because I'm indoors a lot.
1: So when you're doing the kettlebell training, the days that you're just working with the kettlebells, are you just doing sets of your what you do in competition or are there specific movements that you're focusing on aside from that?
4: Well, every training you know is going to be built around more – well, there's – there's two ways to look at it. Like there's a huge, huge emphasis on obviously developing the weaknesses, right? So there's a huge technical aspect and whatever, you know, could be the jerk, could be the clean, could be grip, um, could be, it could be just even just mental fortitude to endure the long set. So it, it's a little complicated. I think, um, to kind of just discuss over the air, but just uh, I would say about once in every there, I, I pretty much break up programming in two week cycles. Mm. So at least once in every two weeks, I'm doing uh, one set that's at least five to ten minutes long. Okay,
2: so you're, it, is that kind of gate trying to gauge like where you need to make these micro tweaks? Is that what you're doing when e- you're doing that? Exactly, and usually I'll jump up two kilo because now what's so cool, like you know, I know you guys are
4: sponsored by Kettlebell Kings, which is awesome. You know, they have, in my opinion, probably the the best bells in the world. And what's cool about them is they they jump. Up in two kilo increments. It used to be four kilo increments. So, eight, 12, four, you know, I'm sorry, eight, 12, 16, 20, 24, 28, 32. That would be a standard set of bells no matter where you would purchase them. But now, because they're finding that just these, I mean, even just jumping up two kilos. Yeah, it's. I mean, because you have to understand... five
2: pounds, you know, that's a big jump. long
4: cycles, that's going to add up. Well, what makes a kettlebell so unique? I mean, one of the biggest things it's a live object, right? It's the offset, uh, you know, the offset axis of... Here's the hand, here's the bell, and it's a live... It's always giving you feedback. So, Mm. 32 kilos of kettlebell weight compared to 32 kilos of a dumbbell weight is totally different. Completely. The stabilization demand is through the roof, Mm -hmm. so...
1: And the lever is longer, so five pounds heavier because the lever has been lengthened now the kettlebell's away from my body it's actually more like seven or eight pounds on a dumbbell
4: exactly and you're dealing with momentum right and so depending on the mechanics that you use if you don't have ideal mechanics you know what could you know essentially be 32 i mean if you're talking about depending how fast the the bell is accelerating up or you know falling with gravity down and the position of where your hips are and where the bell is that's going to change everything
2: wow um so it's a, it's a little bit more. You Gives know. you a whole appreciation for just the sport and the little details of the movement and how much is mechanics, you know, mm-hmm. over strength, right? I mean, I, I, I mean, you're a perfect example of that because I think it, you're a very unassuming guy, which I think is cool, you know? I think, <laughs> I, think I think Well, that no, you look like a very fit guy, but I would
1: have never guessed that yeah. you're that fucking strong and yeah. fit. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's actually awesome uh you know i I wish i was like that too i just i look strong too well i don't i I mean
2: it's (laughs) it's so impressive that i'm trying to think of you know what the guy looks like that i know that pulls squats moves the kind of weight you do and he's five times your size Mm -hmm. you know like the there's i only i only i've met a handful of humans that move that kind of weight and everyone that does, and most of them are like one or the other, right? They're a squatter, and that's all they do. And <laughs> mm-hmm. he, you know, he squats maybe how much you mm-hmm. squat, but uh, and he's five times your size, you know. So I just think that's just fucking unbelievably impressive. But it also is it has a lot to say about like you'd make a good wrestler. Your, your yeah. emphasis mm-hmm. on the detail, the mechanics, and understanding how important that is. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, it could be the difference of so many pounds like just being off by the the micro adjustment in your swing over 10 minutes of swinging could equate to Well, it's like it's the embodiment of like
0: how I used to look at strength like growing up so I I always admired the guy that was like really lean and dense and hard and and, and was like throwing like insane amounts of, of weight out there versus somebody that's already got all this mass and you almost kind of expect that But then, like you start trying to figure out what strength really is, and you start like bringing it back, you know, to the central nervous system, and you know how well well, you can communicate with your body, and it just goes to show, you know, it's it's body intelligence. When when you get when you learn more, and you learn all these little techniques, and you get even further connected with your body, it's like it's so it's so impressive
2: what you're capable of. You know, and, and you've just figured out, like, I feel like you figured out. That's, well, on that this, process. on this crazy micro level too, because right. that's where, I mean, uh, just finished reading the book, uh, the Nike book, right. Phil Knight and his story and the whole evolution of the Nike shoe and where it came from. Like his, that was a partnership with his, his running coach and his running coach used to take these old shoes and he would modify them himself. He started putting it together like, oh, wow, if I could take one ounce Off my runner's shoes that have to run these four miles, he would mathematically equate what that would be poundage Mm -hmm. that they would have to not have to carry now around those laps, which it would in turn shave three seconds Mm -hmm. off their time, which is anybody who runs knows is like three seconds is huge difference, right? Well,
1: one thing we need to consider is like having big muscles but not having function, you don't really get a lot of benefit from that. Mm -hmm. You just don't. I mean, besides looking you know, a certain way. There's definitely the
0: potential, it's like an intimidating, you know, factor to it. It
1: is. And if you're a bodybuilder, you know, or whatever, you want to look a certain way. I I get that part. But in terms of function and health, muscles don't really, they're dumb, you know, without that connection, without the performance, if I just add a hundred pounds on your body of muscle and that hundred pounds of muscle doesn't really give you more strength, I might as well add just a hundred pounds of just dead weight on you. You've actually lost function. You lost performance. On the flip side, if I can keep my muscle the way it is now and, you know, double or triple my strength and performance and
2: mobility, I'm, I'm dangerous. Well, you know? an- another thing that I think is so unique about Mike, too, is that, um, and I, and I got to ask you, if you ever went through this and this was a part of your getting older and mature, uh, to not want to test that a little bit. I mean, I feel like uh, most men that have strength like that tend to have this ego that goes along with that. And is that something that you ever uh, you know, felt as a struggle? Did you did you ever have this struggle? And I know you went through checks, so I, I'm sure you got into a little bit of the, the mind and all that together with the body and how that all works. Did you ever have this inner ego struggle of I'm this really strong guy and I want to test that against other strong guys? Or do you find that outlet through sports and that's what keeps you calm and cool? I definitely think, you know, I
4: find that through sports, but one one of the things that I was thinking back to was so the reason why, you know, I, I first kind of started working with Paul as a coach uh, a few years ago, um, and r- right now, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much doing all my own stuff, my programming and, and such, but, you know, I'd, I'd gone to Paul because I, you know, I had been injured. And at that time was pretty much, you know, I'd competed for almost four years at that point, and every single competition. I would get, so there's the the rank of master sport, and then one below it is called candidate master sport or CMS. So for almost Two years, for sure, consistent, consistently, every single competition that I would enter, I would get super close to the rank, but then have to put the bells down because I'd lose all feeling in my left arm. And so, over two years, I went to almost nine to ten different practitioners, all really wise people, but no one could kind of figure it out. So, when I went to Paul, he brought up a bunch of good stuff, and, and thankfully, we were able to kind of come to the root cause of what was a compartment syndrome in the arm But when I first started lifting, and he he wanted to change my technique quite a bit at that time, and I had just been able to lift 232 kilos, 37 reps. And just by changing the technique, using uh, still in the clean and jerk fashion, using 50% of the weight for 50% of the time, I couldn't even knock out 50% of the reps. So Mm. just doing 20 reps, even just two weeks earlier, when I had just been in competition, and that was like, talk about like an ego crush. Mm. It's like I had kind of this false sense of strength, this false sense of... Mm. And so I think, you know, as great as the kettlebell sport is, I think, you know, there's certain, um, so to be successful in kettlebell sport, in my eyes, like the, the, the qualities that you want to develop first is one flexibility and mobility as a whole, as well as sport specific flexibility, because there's certain, we're going to call them strategies that we use posturally to endure in last 10 minutes. So that's kind of the first thing that you want to develop. Then I would say second, close second is technique. Mm -hmm. Then after that. I would say endurance. Then after that, I would say strength. So it kind of goes in that order. Um, and that's, I think, where you want to focus. And, and anytime, you, know, you brought up a great point earlier, Adam, you said, you know, when you say sport, you automatically, I don't want to say you discount health by any means, but as soon as you say, you say sport, you delineate the intention, right? So mm-hmm. if the intention is sport, what is the main intention in, in my eyes? It's to win. Mm-hmm. right? So I would say, you know, health of the system comes close second, but there's, you know, time and place. So it depends where you are in your training cycle. Sal, you had asked earlier, what do I do after a training cycle? Usually or after a competition, usually I always go into about four to six weeks of a corrective phase. So every single sport's going to have their classic <laughs> imbalances. And I think one of the things as, you know, the sport as great as it is, you know, it hasn't been around in the States for very long, right? So, you know, as coaches, we're still learning a lot and I think one of the greatest areas that we have to learn as kettlebell sport coaches in this country is the value of qualifying our clients, of cycling, of having a dedicated corrective phase, really, truly looking at, I mean, if you look at, you know, what do baseball players, how many games do baseball players play all season when it's the off season, you better believe if you're a pitcher, you're going to be doing, you know, a lot of body work if you're not doing it already, a lot of corrective exercise. So if we're truly to look at it like a sport, then every single sport needs to correct the imbalances and just, Mm. you know, I mean, think about this, like a world-class snatcher more or less is going to be able to do about 200 repetitions, 100 in each arm. With two, you know, one thirty-two kilo kettlebell. So imagine that—that's almost seven, maybe more, Ouch. about seven tons of work in ten minutes. You're yeah. able to accomplish. Yeah. So
2: most people take about a month to accomplish that. By the way, if you were to, those that aren't math people, like that's a that's like a month of working I'm out, hardcore the, working out. Yeah, It's like a month yeah, of working yeah. out for the average person. Well, just imagine
4: if there's even a dysfunction at a at a micro yeah. level at two hundred repetitions. Not to mention all the the training that you went leading mm-hmm. up to that. Imagine, and this is, I think, where um, in CrossFit or just you know high volume activities uh, there there's sometimes can be challenges with them. And I, and I heard this saying, and I love it. It's like a lot of a lot of these gyms are adding, you know, they're just adding fitness to dysfunction, mm-hmm. right? So first, make it functional, and then you can add fitness as opposed to the other way around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think if you focus like that. there, that's how you increase the longevity of no matter what sport or activity you're doing you focus first on balancing the person
2: focus first on the stable base and then you'll be able to do whatever the hell you want with this, it this this is why we were so pumped which it, you know we had to give red green and black because we knew that's what the consumer wanted but we were so excited about prime and the most recent program because that's addressing the dysfunction. That's addressing, that's how everybody should start. I don't give a, I don't care what you're doing, whether you're doing a sport or regress to. Yes, everybody should start there first and address that before they move on to anything. So I think that's so, such an awesome point.
1: Now, Mike, uh, we don't need to go too much into detail, but let's talk a little bit about nutrition for a second here. Do you do anything, anything in particular with nutrition to improve your performance, especially leading up to a competition?
4: You know, I'm pretty pretty simple. Like I would say, my nutritional philosophy is is quite simple. Like, O is organic, nutrient dense foods. Um, I so you're not
1: a big supplement taker, p- powders and bars and stuff like that.
4: I think I have like a one pound jug of protein that's lasted me like two years. <laughs> so it's pretty much just emergencies. I don't really take very much supplements at all. Uh, I grow a lot of my own food. I have a garden in the back. I go to the farm. You know, I buy. We buy a whole beef, a whole cow each year. Um uh, so I like supporting local organic farms. I
2: saw your post the other day on Instagram, you had all the liver and stuff like that in your freezer, right? You yeah. do all, yeah, that's awesome.
4: Yeah. I do a lot of organ meats or as much as I can, you know, usually sometimes once a week at least. Um, so very, very simple, more of an intuitive, I'm more of an intuitive eater. Um, I don't really have, just like my programming, I definitely have a plan and there's definitely foundations that carry through, but at, uh, aside from what I just said, you know, nutrient dense food, organic foods, not pro-inflammatory foods. I don't really eat just because I don't react well to it. Like I don't drink. Uh, I don't usually eat grains. Uh, I would say more of a if you were to categorize, which I don't like the whole categorization idea. <laughs> we don't either. Um, I you know I guess it's a paleo S diet, but it's more just you know what I do well on. I'm not attached to anything. Um, and I'll try pretty much anything so long as it, you know, I do good on it and it's from a good source. Now, has
2: that all, have you always been this way or is this a progression over time of you learning your body and connecting the dots to certain foods? Like how long did it take? Because I, we talk a lot about on the show about, uh, not putting ourselves in boxes and taking from all these different paleo ketogenic vegetarian, like all these different diets, like they all have bits and pieces that, uh, have good science behind them, but the ultimate goal is to get to this intuitive eating, like you're saying, you know, was that a progression for you or have you always been that? I mean, how did you get there? Uh, I think actually, so I think I started more along those lines. So I was, uh, when
4: I was growing up, I lived with my grandparents and my my grandpa would just grow pretty much. He was Sicilian, obviously, mom mm-hmm. and dad and me and Sal have had these discussions. He's a good man. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, he would grow, you know, all of his food. So that's kind of how I grew up you know, he would always just take food off the tree and give it to us and would cook every meal and that. But then once I started getting into uh, competing, you know, obviously I always wanted the edge. So, you know, EAS was huge, you know, when I was 15 (laughs) and like their nutrition guides and, you know, I was very, very disciplined, like even, you know, in high school and, but I didn't really have access to very good information. And it wasn't until I was about 18 that I, when I was a strength and conditioning coach, I started working at a holistic lifestyle center that I started. That's when I first got exposed to kind of like, you know, the foundation principles and what a lot of stuff that Paul teaches. Mm. So, that's kind of where I started getting more into it. But I would say most focused has been in the last three years. Mm. Um, Getting a little bit away from so much head knowledge, not that it's not very important and can support everything, but I think as a whole, culturally, we tend to be so much up in our heads. And I think Bringing that back down to kind of connecting and, and really just figuring out what, what we need in that moment and being willing to uh, not be so uh, hard on ourselves or not be so like disciplined in certain areas, I think can be a great message for nice. for people. That's what I. So,
1: up until 18, you did take a lot of supplements. Did you ever. Ton. Do you have any. Well, here's something I found. This is all anecdote, but just everybody I know who took a ton of supplements. We all have gut issues now. Did you have you encountered anything like that?
4: Horrible gut issues. Horrible. God, it's like fucking everybody. I swear to God. Fungal infections, parasite infections, bacterial infections. I had H. pylori, which caused stomach ulcers. um, uh, Two parasites. Uh, So I had a bunch, a bunch of issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, thankfully, you know, it wasn't until I started healing those that I think my performance really started, you know, increasing. You want, you know, what's really cool? Like so. One of the things that I noticed is my ability to put on muscle or especially to recover following getting rid of those. It took me almost two and a half, three years of like dedicated working with, a, you know, functional medicine practitioner to identify first. And then we went so many different rounds of herbs and retesting and testing. But it was a long road. But after I did that, like I, one of the things I can definitely say I've noticed my ability to recover and my ability to put on uh, size happens a lot quicker.
3: Mm. Mm.
1: Excellent. This has been fantastic, man. I yeah. feel like if mind pump yeah. created the perfect kettlebell the ultimate, athlete that represented all yeah. the stuff we talk about, it would be you. Yeah. Um, but From I, nutrition I, to fitness. It's I, all lines. Man. I really appreciate um, your, your contribution. You are the first, I mean, we're sponsoring you at this uh, next uh, upcoming event. And, uh, there's a reason why we picked you as the first person um, and uh, we, we really hope uh, and wish you the best yeah. and we appreciate your collaboration with our yeah, KB4A. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So people are, are really digging that program and and definitely your huge contribution to that. Yeah. We're excited about learning more about awesome. the sport. So
2: yeah, Mike, why don't you, you plug some of your social media and stuff like that? Cause I know I had some people ask me that, like, where do I find this guy? Like he's, his tips were great when the kettlebell. So well, could you plug all your stuff where people can find you?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So right now, I'm I'm pretty much most avid, which I'm trying to be a little bit more uh, kind of active on. But uh, Instagram and the um, um, kettlebell lifestyle. So there's three L's, and that's where I'm most av- I've got a Facebook page and stuff, but I would say that's to find out kind of the most up to date information. That's where to go. Uh, website is kettlebelllifestyle.com. dot com, and uh, I, I mean I'm super excited. I'm super excited for everything that we're doing. I'm honored, you know. I've this is uh, I think what it shows. And this is probably why I'm so excited about the sponsorship is you guys are like the first people I think that are, I mean, I think kettlebell sport is definitely growing. I think it's definitely kind of the future of a lot of, of where kind of uh, things are heading in terms of kettlebells and strength and, and performance. But you guys, I think, are have enough foresight to kind of see that. And I think it's opening up the doors. I mean, we've got, we're a very grassroots sport, right? There's no, you know, up to this point, there hasn't been any money in the sport. We do it because we love it. One of the things that I think you guys will love when you guys, you know, uh, come to a competition is you'll see the environment and you'll see the community. And Mm. out of all the communities, and not that I didn't have a a tremendous time in powerlifting, I would still like to compete in powerlifting. And I had a great time in Olympic weightlifting, something I would still like to do. Kettlebell sport, just like every community, is unique to, to each other. And kettlebell sport has probably, in my experience, has been the most welcoming and open arms organizations and people I've ever met. So, um, and it and what you guys are doing, you know, you're, there's so many athletes in the future that are going to get, you know, this is going to bring in more companies and more people. We hope Pr- so. I, that's what I'm hoping. So that's what I'm most excited about. We hope so. We, 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 we,
1: like the direction. We like the message. We, uh, we love competition, obviously. Yeah. Especially um,
0: when it's in its pure form. It's
1: I in think. a very impure yeah. in the sense of, uh, not pure. Like it has to be perfect in terms of the, the, the history and tradition, you know, the intentions, the intentions pure. are yeah. pure. It's got, it's got great intentions. Uh, I've met other kettlebell athletes and fantastic people, so uh, it's going to be awesome. Listen, if you like Mind Pump, leave us a five-star rating review on iTunes. If we like your review and we pick it, you'll get a free Mind Pump t-shirt. You can also find us on Instagram at Mind Pump Radio. You can find me at Mind Pump Sal. Adam is at Mind Pump Adam. Justin is at Mind Pump Justin. And Doug...